Hello. Hi, Mom. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. So, um, I think you heard um, the news, right, that I joined a network called Earwolf? I certainly did. Do you know what Earwolf is? Earwolf is a company that uh, hosts podcasts. Do you know what kind of podcasts? I believe that their podcasts are mostly comedy ones. That's right. Have you been in a position yet of explaining to any of your friends where my show is going? I haven't really spoken to people yet. Because, you know, previously I was at WNYC, and I think a lot of uh, people of your generation know what WNYC is, and they might not know what Earwolf is. Well, they won't know. Very few people will know. How are you going to explain it? Um, I will. It depends on how far I think I can get in the conversation before somebody tunes out. <laughs> 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 and and I've got to tell you that when you were um, produced by WNYC and we mentioned it to people, they would say, oh, I watch public TV all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> if there was a disconnect there, Earwolf is not going to be explainable. So you're just not going to even say it. I, I think I'm not going to say it unless I know that I'm talking to somebody who gets that, you know, that a podcast is something that you can listen to online and that it's audio. <laughs> there are a lot of hurdles there. Well, what do you, th- what do you think listeners want to hear right away when I, when I first start back? It's been um, a few months since I did a show. What are they mm. going to want to hear? I think um, they're going to want to know that you've missed them, too. I've missed them. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to want to know, and that you've appreciated all of their words of encouragement and support, and um, all the likes and everything means a lot. You know, you really have created community with the podcast, and so I think you know, that your audience wants to know that you really care about them too. I care. Audience, I care about you. Did that sound too insincere? Yeah. It did. <laughs> Should I try? I need to try harder. Audience, I care. Is that better? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> okay, let me try again. Audience, thank you. I care. It, it has meant a lot. <laughs> like I could care. That, it sounds like. <laughs> I'm failing. I'm failing already. I yeah. like I like your likes. <laughs> yeah, I've missed you is what you have to say. I've I've missed you. I've missed your stories and your your submissions and your I've, I've missed your stories and your submissions. <laughs> Okay, tell me, tell me more. What should I say? Um, you should say that you've grown very close to your audience 
and you're back and you're glad that they're back. Yeah, what she said. (laughs) This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and we are back. And I have missed you, like, like for real. It's been three months since we last spoke, when the show got canceled. And I've spent a lot of that time looking for a new home for the podcast. And I am so happy to be at Earwolf. We're going to be bringing you more of the stories you've always loved... And we're going to be trying new things, too. And and here's the big news. We are going weekly. New episodes will drop on Wednesdays. You guys, you guys are the best audience in the world. I've been able to resurrect this show thanks to your incredible enthusiasm. Okay, so I know this, and you know this, but, but not everyone knows this. The longest, shortest time is for everybody, not just people with kids. It's a show about family, and we've all got families of one kind or another, right? So tell your friends about the show. Tell them at dinner. Tell them at parties. Tell them at work. Tell your doctor, your your librarian, your therapist, your hairdresser. Post a link to the show on Facebook and Twitter. We are back, and we want everyone to know about it. I can't wait to get started with today's show, but but before we do, I just want to say a few words about our Facebook group, Longest Shortest Time Mamas. That group and our group for papas are really special places. They're some of the only places you can go on the internet and talk about parenting stuff without all the crazy infighting, you know, or, or the mommy wars or whatever you want to call it. People there commiserate about the hard stuff. They they crack each other up about the funny stuff. I mean it all night long. They're like making each other laugh while they're up with their babies. Now this group, it's mostly moderated by volunteers. Their names are Joshana and Claire, and they do a fantastic job of keeping things fun and keeping the peace. But the group is now huge. It's almost 18,000 members strong. And sometimes it starts to get off track, like it starts to get like the regular internet. So if you're in this group or you join this group, we are relying on you to keep the inclusive spirit of the group alive. Okay, so you you get what I'm saying, right? Just treat people like people. Treat them like you would if you were talking to their face. Just be a good person. Also, there's this news. So what's going on right now? My tooth is wiggly. This is my daughter, Sasha. She's in kindergarten. And she has been dying for this moment for months. Her first wiggly tooth. She's been complaining nonstop about all the kids at school having wigglier teeth than her, which seems especially unfair when the kid is younger than her. Well, finally, finally, her time has come. The tooth fairy, she'll be here any day now. But Sasha's also a little worried. She keeps asking me this. What does the tooth fairy do with her tooths? What does the tooth fairy do with her tooths? Sasha's got some ideas. She, she thinks that the tooth fairy might stick them all into her own mouth. Thousands and thousands of them. Or, or maybe she blends them into a shake. Ugh. Well, today on the show, we will bring this question to our very special guest, Chris Gethard. Let's go! Good evening, weirdos! Welcome to the Chris Gethard Show! Chris is an improv comedian. One of the best, like, like officially. Time Out New York just put him on their top 10 comedians list for 2015. They said he was number five. 
For years, Chris has performed in the Upright Citizens Brigade, and now he has a TV show. It's called The Chris Gethard Show. The target demographic for this show is goons. Goofs, <laughs> freakazoids, blookies, oddballs. The, sexually confused the Chris Gethard Show is funny and bizarre, and Chris is amazing at thinking on his feet. And that is why I invited him to the studio to answer our kids' unanswerable questions and to talk about children's incredible, magical, weird imaginations and the lies we tell them as grown-ups to foster those imaginations, for better or for worse. Don't go away. Hey, everybody, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. In that one, a young Mormon plays a long con on his childhood crush in the hope of starting a family with her. He's going to love telling you this story. He was such a jerk. He did love telling it, and I loved listening. So tune in for that. The best way to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Please do this for me, even if iTunes is not how you listen to podcasts. That'll help us rise in the charts, which will make it easier for new people to find the show. Thanks. (laughs) We are back with comedian Chris Gethard. So here's how this is going to work. I asked you guys to record your kids asking their most absurd questions. I picked my favorites, and I'm going to be playing them for Chris. You should know, though, that Chris's answers are not kid-friendly. So we have pulled kid-friendly versions and posted them at LongestShortestTime.com along with this episode. That's episode 69. So go ahead, listen to this episode now without your kids. And then if your kids want to hear the answers, go to the website and listen to the edited stuff. Hi, Chris. Hello. Welcome to The Longest Shortest Time. I'm very happy to be here. I am so excited to have you on for this to um, answer kids' unanswerable questions. Are you ready? I am. I'm not sure exactly what authority I have, but I'm willing to just shoot from the hip and give the honest answers. So here I played Chris that first question from my daughter, Sasha. What does the tooth fairy do with her tooth? Okay, well, we we didn't really discuss this too much before we sat down in here because I'm at a few, there's a few different crossroads that are presenting themselves to me right now, which is this: I don't have children, yeah. so I don't necessarily feel bound. I don't know, you know, I, I enjoy children, and I'm not saying I wish harm on them or anything like that, but I don't have the parental instincts of protectiveness here right now. The question in my mind is: Do I do I break your daughter's heart? Or do I keep? Yeah. Oh. What are you? What are your different answers? Okay. What does the tooth fairy do with the tooths? Okay. So here's the first answer, which which I would say to your daughter's face, which would be, uh, "What does the tooth fairy do with all those tooths? The tooth fairy recycles them because the tooth fairy knows that you have to take care of the planet Earth. And I don't know if you've heard of recycling, but it's a very important thing because you can't just throw garbage everywhere. The Earth doesn't like it. The Earth gets sick. The Earth can get a, a tummy ache or the flu just like a person can. So you know you got to throw the bottles in, in the bottle thing. You got to put the newspapers in the newspaper thing, and then they all get reused, and it makes everything healthier and happier. And the 
tooth fairy is not a bad person. So she takes all those teeth and she recycles them and then they're made into other things uh, all over the world. That's That would be my one answer. The other answer would be to say, okay, look, kid, uh, if you're asking me, Chris Gethard, a 35-year-old comedian, uh, here's your first uh, cold dose of reality. Let's ha- you got to have an honest conversation about this tooth fairy thing. I don't know if you should be uh, believing in this too much longer. It's weird. I've thought about this. It's weird. As a kid, I think about the things I was led to believe, and I feel like all adults were lying to me. And I don't know if I want to be a, I don't know if I want to be a liar to those kids. If I ever have a kid, I don't know if if I'm going to if I'm going to buy into this whole thing. Is that okay to say? Yeah, so Sorry, I feel you can yeah. cry all you want. It's the truth. I'm a I truth feel teller. Conflicted about this because yeah. so um, I'm Jewish. Okay. And I'm raising my daughter like sort of secular Jewish, uh-huh. culturally Jewish. And so uh I am totally prepared to, at some point, tell her that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Right. But for some reason, I feel like I want to do the tooth fairy thing. You do, as a parent. Yeah. How did you find out that the tooth fairy wasn't real? I I was a kind of like smarty pants kid when it came to reading. And I was always really horrible at math and science, but I always read like pretty voraciously is that the word I'm not clearly not a yeah. well-read person now if I don't know the words to describe it but I would read so much that the librarians in my school would let me read above my grade level so I would go take out books and when I was in I think second or third grade they let me take out the books for fifth and sixth graders and I read a book that said Santa Claus wasn't real so I found out about it in a book that spoke openly a young adult fiction book but even then I didn't ask my parents about it for a while I like kept it as the secret information that I worried about. And then I asked them before Christmas that year. I was like, is, is Santa Claus real? They were like, no. I was like, Easter Bunny, Tooth Fairy as well, right? They're like, yeah. And looking back on it, those, those two are even harder to believe. Yeah. So I found out about the Tooth Fairy not being real because um, my mom is a calligrapher. And even in her regular um, everyday handwriting, <laughs> she writes like immaculately wow. while it almost looks like calligraphy. And so she would um, leave a note under my pillow with the dimes that I would get. And um, the, the note was cut out to look like a tooth. And Elaborate. Your mom yeah. was into it. And it was her handwriting. And I think one day, I don't know how old I was, but I was like, the tooth fairy is you. And wow. she, she denied it and then started laughing. And I remember a very sad it. moment in my childhood that must have been heartbreaking for my parents where in one of the years that I, I um, still believed in Santa Claus, we were opening presents and we got to the end of it and I was super sad. I was like really bummed out. And my parents were like, what's wrong? Don't you like the stuff Santa brought you? And I was like, no, I really like it. But I got to say, like, I get you guys Christmas presents every year and you never get me anything. And they were like, wait, what? And I was like, Santa brings me all this stuff, but you guys have never gotten me, like my own mom and dad have never gotten me a Christmas <laughs> gift. And I figured that and they, she was like, oh, actually this one is from me. Like, And then I would later f- obviously find out they were all from them. But there was a very, very sad conversation in there where I was like, what is this bullshit? My own parents, no present? Isn't so messed up. I get you guys presents and I'm six I get you little doodads from that school cell thing that they do in the gym. So do you feel like there's no benefit to um, lying to kids about, like, Santa and the Tooth Fairy? Well, I don't know. You have to tell me, because I've been married for a year, and we're trying to have a kid now. 
And I would have to imagine everything softens because I would imagine that most adults go through a stretch where they're like, I'm not going to do that. Looking back on it, it was deceptive and kind of creepy to tell our kids that there were like rabbits and fairies invading their bedrooms. And you feel lied to when you find out. But then everybody does it. Right now, I'm like, none of that. It weirds me out. But I have a feeling when I'm actually holding a child of my own someday, that'll be like, yes, I have to. The traditions, the joy on their face when they see these gifts, when they see that money under the pillow. And she's so excited, like, talking about the tooth fairy. and, and Yeah, and, and, and she sounded real cute. She said, tooths, <laughs> not teeth. Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. I, yeah. I crave that in my soul. Yeah. Although the... The realistic part of me wants to just say, it's not real. Let's grow up. There's real problems. I, I don't think I could actually do that, right? No. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I just met you. But True. I, but You're not getting like a sociopath vibe off of me? <laughs> right. Like a sociopath who just wants to be a grim realist with children all the time? That's right. Okay. So let's move on to the next question. Mm-hmm. My name is Haven, and I'm five, and I'm about to be six. My name is Jacob, and I am six. I'm about to be seven. Where do dinosaurs go when they're dead? I think they go to heaven because they're so cool. I think they go to hell because they're so mean and so scary and so (laughs) they can just bite us or eat us. Okay, Chris Gethard, do dinosaurs go to heaven or hell? Great question, and you two sound like you're all business. You're very official in your questioning. Do dinosaurs go to heaven or hell? Well... Here's the honest answer. It's not cut and dry like that. Some dinosaurs go to heaven and some dinosaurs go to hell because some (laughs) dinosaurs do bad things. Some dinosaurs, you know, cheat on their spouses and uh, and are ruthless businessmen that are cruel to people who uh, who are impoverished. And and there's people, there's dinosaurs that steal. And all those dinosaurs, they go to hell. But then there are many, many more good dinosaurs that are just hardworking people that love their families and work hard and have hobbies and go to uh, movies and, and, and hang out with their friends. And all those dinosaurs go to heaven. But dinosaurs as a whole species, it's not a black or white thing. It's, it's just like people. Some people are really good, and then there's a handful of people who are real bad apples. And those people, they got to deal with that. Um, so yeah, you know, there's uh, I would say probably, you know, there's some aggressive dinosaurs that are more hell prone. You know, you got your velociraptors. They're very, very aggressive. I think their aggressive instincts, if they can't curb those, there's a lot more violence and a lot more anger in their lives that might make them a little bit more prone to hell. Whereas the docile uh, brontosaurus, your allosaurus that just wants to hang out in a shallow swamp eating vegetation all day, they're not hurting anybody else. They're probably destined for a good afterlife. So are you saying that carnivores go to hell and herbivores go to heaven? I'm saying that carnivores, due to their lifestyle choices and their aggressive instincts, which inherently force them to kill, they have to be more vigilant in a quest to get to heaven. And obviously, these are animals. They need to eat. And carnivores kill to eat, and I don't think any any uh, any god that you might believe in out there would punish a carnivore for following its instinct in eating. But what if they have some sort of bloodlust and they enjoy killing a little too much? Yeah, they might be violating some of those rules. Herbivores don't have to deal with that, but herbivores can be real uh, shitty people too. <laughs> I think they just don't. The killing issue is taken off the table. Did you believe in heaven and hell as a kid? Well, I was raised Catholic, Irish Catholic. 
And I still am quite conflicted about the whole thing. My parents went to Catholic school, and they almost sent my brother and I to Catholic school, and then they thought about it and about how like bizarre and, and abusive it was. And they were like, no, we're not doing it. So we went to public school. We did the whole Sunday school thing, communion, confirmation. And it was really terrifying. I remember a stretch where I really believed in it because they were really like the nuns who taught us in our Sunday school, very, very explicit about like, you will go to hell and here's what happens and here's how hot the fires are. I remember they also told us all about like, um, you know, people see the Virgin Mary every once in a while. Was it Lourdes? Was it Lourdes, France, where they saw the Virgin Mary? And it was like in a beautiful nature setting, if I remember right, some sort of body of water. And they made a thing of saying like a, a lot of people have seen the Virgin Mary, actually kids who have been like your age or even younger. And there's a very odd thing, which is when people see the Virgin Mary, these kids, they tend to die young um, and just go straight to heaven. So they were telling us that like hell was really real. And even if you're good enough to see the Virgin Mary, you could die right away. And I remember I would be up at night. I had times where I was really filled with anxiety and like up at night crying, terrified of that. And uh, I do remember really believing in heaven and hell as a kid. And uh, at this point, I don't know what I believe. I don't know. But as far as dinosaurs go, some of them go to hell, some of them go to heaven. Most of the pterodactyls go to heaven. Why? Just because I thought those kids would like that answer. If you're a little kid and you hear that pterodactyls go to heaven, that seems like a thing you'd probably want to know, right? Yeah. Like Jacob probably was just like, yes, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Okay, let's hear the next question. This is John Willis, age three. What's your question, John? Um, um, um. Who's um, Jesus' grandparents? Who is Jesus' grandparents? Holy shit, my mind is blown. <laughs> my mind is blown right now. Jesus' parents get a lot of press, but what about yeah. his grandparents? Wow. Wow. Well, the technical answer is that I don't know if history has recorded this. The technical answer would be Mary's parents and I guess God's parents. (laughs) But now we've opened up like a whole philosophers for hundreds of years, thousands of years have been trying to unwrap that. This is real. This is like the ultimate chicken or egg situation. Who were God's parents? How did God come to be? Wow. John Willis, age three, bringing out the big guns. (laughs) I have literally, in 35 years, I was just talking about how Catholicism was at the core of my upbringing. I have never considered who were Jesus' grandparents. Did he know them? Or did he have step-grandparents through Joseph? I don't know. I don't know. That answer, you can see. That I'm actually like rattled. I'm actually rattled thinking about that. Who were Jesus' grandparents? I don't know. Where did Mary come from? Does anybody know? Did they ever talk about that? Uh, no, no. I'm asking you. You've yeah. established that you're a a, uh, a not that religious Jewish person. I'm asking yeah. you about the history of right. Christian figures. <laughs> it's probably not the most fair direction to go in. Yeah. Well, so this is a question, too, that a lot of kids ask. This this came in from another kid, and my daughter always asks, who was the first person? Yeah. Um, and how did they get here if they had no mommy? Wow. Wow. So do kids constant, is that constant that they just ask you things? Constant. Where, where you have to think about your own life a little harder than you wanted to? And it's like the end of the day and you've picked them up from daycare and you're driving home and you're exhausted and you get the like, 
you know, <laughs> who was the first person? How do they exist if they didn't have a mommy? When are you going to die? When am I going to die? Have, your kids have asked, do you have, have the one daughter? I have the one, yeah. She's asked you when you're going to die? Oh, always. What? Yeah. Do you just like stay up? Did, like that night, can you just not sleep? Do you just stare at the ceiling? It's it's like constant. And it does. it's made me start thinking about my own death in a way that I never have. Really? Yes. That's horrible. How? Because to me, like... I was always kind of like, I could be a parent. It's not like, it's not like a major goal. I don't know if I'd be good at it. I have like so many depression issues. I don't know if I could like pass them on and feel like not, if that wouldn't just kill me. But then I got together with my wife and I was like, well, I think she's going to be an awesome mom. And it really made me want to do it. And then she had a kind of similar thing where she, I think, was uncertain. And she was like, I think you'd be a great dad. And now we're both really, really into trying to make that happen. But it's weird because I realized like, the reason I bring that all up is like the theoretical things I think parenting are going to be are very different than the reality. Like in my mind, I'm like, my wife and I, we're both artists. I want to have a kid who's going to be like a better artist than both of us, who has like all this freedom to be creative that I felt like I didn't have because my parents were so blue collar. But I feel like when you actually have a kid, you're like, does it just eventually come down to like, just please don't kill anybody? Yeah. I mean, so it's inevitable. You're going to screw them up somehow, More, yeah. at least a little. In a different way, it, you know, if you're thinking about it a lot, probably in a different way from how your parents screwed you up. Yeah. But it's inevitable because that's just how people are. And, and, and you are dealing with this, like, little irrational person, and you're dealing with your own baggage from your yeah. own childhood. And, that, and, like, there's nothing you can do about that. And it's just all happening mm-hmm. around you. Is it very weird for me to say? Is it sexist for me to say that I'm 100% aware that if I have a daughter, she's going to be able to manipulate me more than if I have a son. Is that a weird thing to say? It's not weird to say, but I don't. I don't know that it's going to be true. Really? Yeah, it totally depends on their personality. You could have a different kind of dinosaur than you think you're going to have. Look at that! It all loops back around. <laughs> a full circle moment. That's right. That's right. Let's listen to the next question. My name is Ruby, and I'm four. And what question did you have for me? What will happen if I don't have a shadow? What will happen if Ruby doesn't have a shadow? There will be six more weeks of winter. (laughs) That's the best answer possible. (laughs) Ruby, you need need to have a shadow. Because if you don't see it, six more weeks of winter. And someday you'll grow up and you'll watch a movie called Groundhog Day. And you'll get that joke much more. And you'll be like, people have told me this movie was great and it was overhyped. But guess what? It's just as good as I heard it was going to be. It stands up to the test of time. I feel like we just need to leave that one right there. Right? That. Mm-hmm. Six more weeks of winter. Nailed it. Thank you, Ruby. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This is Nora. She's almost three. Why don't dogs have hands? Why don't dogs yeah. have hands? <sighs> I mean, dogs. Which, can we just picture that for a second? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> a dog with hands. <laughs> it's really weird. Why don't dogs have hands? You know, I think we all love dogs. Everybody loves dogs. You love dogs. I love dogs. 
It's really good that you're thinking about dogs because they're great. They're great things. But look, there's one thing we all know about dogs, which is that they want to eat all the time. They want to eat everything. And if you let them, they'll jump up on the table and they'll try to take your food right out of your plate with the table. Can you imagine if dogs had hands? They'd just eat all the food because it would make it too easy. So they weren't allowed to have hands because you got to make it a challenge for them or else the rest of us won't get to have any of the food. That sounds right to me. Right? Yeah. Okay. This is weirdly stressful for me. <laughs> I, I, well, we're putting you on the spot. I mean, it's the definition of it's not even exercise. that because I've done so. I'm, I, I, I've been an improviser for 15 years. It's I feel like a weird responsibility to play ball with these kids on their terms, <laughs> and not just make every answer that of like a usual cynical New Yorker. Stresses me out. What are you afraid of? Well, I, I guess my impression is that it's very easy to mess a kid up, like. They'll say a thing back to you that you didn't even realize they heard, you know? A lot of my friends have been having kids the last few years, and I've noticed that my friends tend to be a lot more liberal with, like, language and just responding in the moment than I would assume. Like, for me, kids make me really nervous, actually, because I feel like everything you say gets, like, imprinted into their brain in a way that you don't exactly know. Like, I remember moments from when I was a kid where I heard something and thought something and it was entirely untrue, but it was just because an adult said it and I interpreted it in some weird kid way. So I feel like a weird responsibility to talk to kids. And I also feel like as a comedian, I feel like there's so much comedy that comes in like rolling your eyes at kids or talking down to kids. And I actually don't love that. So I feel like I wanted to give a somewhat intelligent answer. Do you have an example from your childhood of something that you heard and, and you misinterpreted? Let's see. My version of one of these questions was at some point, I must have seen a commercial or something that mentioned the word hemorrhoid. And I remember asking my mom, what's a hemorrhoid? And I was real little. And this threw her for a loop. I, you know, I, I must have been, I'm saying like three or four years old, but she had the TV on, it was daytime TV, and they advertised some product. And I asked her, like, what's a hemorrhoid? And I never forgot, she told me, it's you get a pimple on your butt. That mm. was her answer, that you get a pimple on your butt. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that when I was 25, for the first time I got a hemorrhoid, and I thought I was dying. <laughs> and I thought something was really severely, awfully wrong. And I didn't know what was going on. I was freaking out. And eventually I found out it was a hemorrhoid. And in with the doctor, like in there, I was like, no, that can't be a hemorrhoid because hem isn't a hemorrhoid just when you get a pimple on your butt? And he's like, no, <laughs> it's like a much different thing than that. So that's an example of a thing that my mom said offhandedly to just kind of like skirt the issue that for over 20 years I believed. What do you wish she had said to you? It's uh, such a good question, right? I don't know because you can't really say like, it's like a weird strain in your, uh, like, weird misshape of your butthole, <laughs> sometimes on the outside, sometimes on the inside, caused by a lack of fiber and, and stress. So are you anti, like, euphemisms for kids? Or? I don't know. It's just so, it's so funny to me to realize, like, you figure out most stuff. But that was one for, I'm not kidding, for over two decades, I thought a hemorrhoid was like, oh, you get a pimple on your butt. It makes it hard to sit down. It's like, no, 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 you can bleed into the toilet and think you're dying. That can also be a hemorrhoid. <laughs> that would not have been the right answer for her. No, if she, when I was three, if she was like, yeah, what a hemorrhoid is, is sometimes you push too hard and then there's bright red blood 
and the toilet looks like that a murder happened inside it. Yeah. She couldn't she couldn't have said that. Yeah. But there's gotta be a middle ground, right? Yeah. Um, let's move on to the next question. My name is Carrie Forsman and my son Miles is five. But when he first asked me this question, he was four years old. Am I the real Batman? <laughs> yes. Here's the thing, Miles. The real Batman at the end of the day is the Batman that lives inside all of us because of the values that Batman represents, which are trying to make the world a better place and by being really cool while doing it. So if you can tap into that, then there's a piece of you that is the real Batman. Are you the real Batman? Like, are you Bruce Wayne fighting the Joker? I'm not going to tell you you're the real Batman because then you go in your garage, your parents' garage, and you see they got like a Honda Civic, not the Batmobile. You don't live in a cave, so you know you're not that Batman. But there's going to be days where you have feelings that there's injustice in the world or that there's things that are happening that are wrong and where you feel on your inside that you're the person who can take action to help fight off those forces causing those situations. And on those days, you won't just feel like Batman. You'll be a little bit Batman. You will be. It's funny that he asked about Batman because I was so obsessed with comic books as a kid. And they really like kind of saved me as a kid. I look back. I was actually just thinking about this recently because I don't really, I don't read comic books anymore. I think DC comics are kind of garbage. My real advice to that kid is ditch the DC and get with the Marvel comics. They're just better. But that's the real old man answer. But I remember, like, for me, it was Spider-Man and the X-Men where I kind of feel like I developed a moral code that I wouldn't have had and that really has guided me my whole life. And so much of it goes back to things that those guys did. I remember making choices differently in my life as a kid because those comics were defined by having such a clear-cut like set of ethics. Spider-Man is this young teenage boy who gets picked on, who's handed all these powers and initially decides to use them for his own gain, but then a real tragedy happens that he didn't cause but could have stopped and then he has to decide no there's a lot of responsibility that comes with this and I try to have I have to try to help people and I have to try to do good and I have to try to protect the people who are underdogs like me like and I always remember that after I started reading comic books I was real little and I got picked on a lot but when I saw the other kids getting picked on too I always would I would always be on their side if I saw a kid getting picked on if we were sitting at a lunch table and one kid was being made fun of my instinct was always to be on that kid's team. And it wasn't heavy-handed. I wasn't some little crusader, but it was always this thing where it was like, oh, act on the instinct that you learned there. So sometimes you have to stand up for things, and it's going to be a little scary. And that, to me, felt like being a superhero. So so we can all embody superheroes at different times in our lives. Yeah, you can be Batman. You won't have uh, grappling hooks and swing around. You won't have the suit, but you can be Batman if you act the way Batman would act. You can watch the talented, sometimes superhero, Chris Gethard on The Chris Gethard Show on Fusion or online at fusion.net. And also, uh, this is very exciting, he's got a new podcast launching soon with Earwolf. It's called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People, and it is going to be great. So stay tuned for that. I got to tell you, I had so much fun doing this unanswerable question show that I want it to be a recurring segment. And if you have kids, I know that they are asking you absurd questions every day, probably 
all day long. So please tell us what those questions are. Leave them on our website, longestshortesttime.com, in the comments for this episode. That's episode 69. Or tell us about your childhood misconceptions about Santa or the Tooth Fairy or hemorrhoids or, you know, whatever your childhood hang-up might have been. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. Our engineer is the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon, Peter Clowney, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Jonathan Menhivar, Fanny Cohen, and, of course, my mom. Oh, gosh. I'm so goofy. (laughs) And, as always, send us your stories. We're looking for all kinds of different stories. This year, I want to do more diverse stories. I want more international stories. I want to finally hear from that military mom I've been looking for. I want farming parents. Someone also recently suggested I should find a parent who's a clown. Maybe you're out there. Maybe a child of a clown. Anyway, if you've got a story to tell about your surprising relationship with your kids or your parents or your decision to not have kids at all, pitch us. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Stand up. You sing your wolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Yeah.